Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your game tickets from the longtime trusted source in Wisconsin, Ticket King. Visit their locations in Milwaukee and Green Bay or just go to their website, theticketking.com. Again, that's theticketking.com. Our listeners can save 10% off of all Ticket King's already low prices on Packers tickets by using the code PT10 when they order at theticketking.com. Offer expires August 31st. Again, that is PT10. That's the code you want to enter at checkout to get 10% off your Packers tickets. You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers. Gil is the host of Lockdown NHL. He also writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Gil, we're going to be talking about special teams today uh obviously it's, it's a topic that we have discussed on uh, off and on throughout this off season and obviously we spent a lot of time on it over the last few years but we want to kind of do a deep dive off of uh, what exactly have the packers changed this off season and uh you and i were kicking around podcast ideas for what we wanted what we felt was the most important thing to cover this week and you suggested special teams and that dovetailed really nicely with a question that came in from a a good friend of mine, Justin, who uh, is admittedly, he does not identify as a Packer fan, uh, but he is a fan of our, our podcasting endeavors and he watches the Packers. Uh, He's actually, I think Justin would describe himself as a free agent. He doesn't have a team right now. (laughs) Grew up as a Lions fan and for obvious reasons is very much done with the Lions. <laughs> Can't blame one bit for that. Um, but as an outside observer, he feels some frustration that he feels like special teams don't seem like a priority to him uh, to the Packers organization. So um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about exactly what the Packers have done up to this point in terms of overhauling their disastrous special teams unit. So uh, there's coaching changes, there's player changes, and most importantly, we think a new culture on special teams. So let's talk a little bit about Rich Bisaccia. He's the new special teams coordinator that the Packers hired. Um So he's a long, long time special teams coach. He first started coaching in 1983 for Wayne State. His first NFL coaching gig was for the 2002 Super Bowl winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I have some numbers. Uh, I decided to go look up. So Rick Goslin puts together a special teams ranking every year. Mm-hmm. Um, he evaluates where he thinks each team uh, lands in a whole bunch of categories. 
and he'll give you, okay, in each category for kickoff returns, for uh, punt coverage, what have you, here's who did best, who did, here's who did worst, and I'm just going to rank all these teams. So I thought it was interesting to look at the uh, 2001 special teams rankings and see where the Buccaneers were the year before Versace got there. So they ranked number eight in 2001 before Versace got there. Um, they scored 284 points on Versace's scale. So for reference, the best team it looks like the lower the number, the better because the best team was Philadelphia with 194. The worst team was uh, Buffalo at 451. So when you get that context, 284 for Tampa sounds pretty good. So how much more are you expecting them to get better from eighth best in the league by bringing in a new special teams coordinator? Honestly, I don't think it's realistic to, to say, oh, they have to get better than eight, which is good because they uh, only got one spot better bringing in Basaccio. They came in at seven. I think improvement from eight to seven seems fine on paper. Their, their score uh, got four points worse, but a bunch of other teams in the league also got worse that year. Um, so their their ranking overall on this list improved. Yeah, and I think you know when you're in the top ten, more than anything, you want to at least stay where you are. I mean, you know, For sure, it, it's better to go, I guess, from eight to four or three. But realistically, if you're near the top of the league, you want to stay there. And apparently, they succeeded in doing that. So you know, mission accomplished in that regard. Yeah. Um, does it, does it surprise you the idea that maybe what we're about to see throughout this exercise is that as long as the, the players kind of stay the same from one year to the next, that bringing in a new special teams coach doesn't really impact uh, the, the overall performance of special teams. Would that surprise you if we discovered that? Uh, it would, you know what, uh, it would surprise me a little bit. I think when you're talking about bringing in a new coach who is going to change the system a little bit, who's going to conduct drills differently, who's going to hold the players accountable in a different way. I would think that, you know, it's coaching plus talent equals your outcome yeah. and you're changing one of the two ingredients. Obviously, if your team is right near the bottom of the rankings, you want to change both. But uh, if you're right near the top, you don't need to change the players all that much. You're just changing the coach. Yeah. Um, so Bisacci, his his next NFL stop was in 2011. He was hired by the San Diego Chargers. Mm -hmm. That should stick out to you a little bit because the 2010 Chargers were just horrific on special teams. If you Googled 20, uh, 2010 Chargers special teams, you'll find articles talking about this is one of the greatest all-time NFL teams that missed the playoffs. They had, uh, I think, the number one offense, number two defense, number 32 special teams, and they went nine and seven and missed the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, that's almost mathematically impossible. It's totally incredible. So yeah. that was the year before Basachi got there. So... Um, no surprise, they came in dead last in 2010. They had 480.5 points uh, that year. They were 30 points worse than the second worst team. 
in 2010. So the following year when they bring in Bisaccia, you're thinking, I mean, gosh, even 31 would be a huge improvement given that there was a 30 point difference. Usually between any of these two spots, you're looking at four or five points difference. If you're looking at a 30 point difference between uh, number 31 and number 32, I think that in 2011, anything higher than 32 has to be considered a success. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would think. So they jumped up to 25. I think 32 to 25 is a a pretty massive difference. Uh, They went from 480 points to 420 points. So that's a pretty big uh, jump. Of course, the next thing that you're wondering is, well, where, how many points did the Packers have last year with that disastrous special teams? And the answer is, I got to actually click all the way to the last page because I'm still on page one. Here we go. Packers in 32, they had 482 points. So that actually is more points on Rick Goslin's scale than the 2010 Chargers special teams. And I got to tell you, after watching our performance last year, I don't know that I think that that's wholly unfair. Really, if you consider some of the games where it just everything went wrong. Interestingly, by the way, last year, you know who was in 31? Chargers. Yeah. (laughs) Deja vu all over again, right? So after that, uh, Passaccia's next stop in the NFL, he, he coaches for a ton of college teams in between all these stops. But his next stop in the NFL was the Dallas Cowboys in 2013. So where's my uh, 2012 tab? Here we go. 2012 Cowboys are at 17. They had 360 points. Versace's first year there, 2013. Dallas moves to. The heck is Dallas? <laughs> Thought I saw him. Dallas. Four. Okay, so they jumped from 17 to four overall. Uh, they had 294 points. So this is the first time that Bisaccia has had a sub 300. Um, and they were about 70 points worse than the number one New England Patriots. So the top four were uh, New England, San Francisco, Kansas City, and Dallas. Pretty good leap, I would say, in one year. I think going from 17 to four all, really almost feels unrealistic. They they must have had to have really overhauled that special teams roster. Had to make some changes, no question about that. Final stop before he gets to the Packers was the 2018 Raiders. So uh, in 2017, Oakland came in at they were tied for seventh with the Buffalo Bills, which is kind of incredible that you can have a tie here since he uses like half points even. They came in at 309.5 points. So this is uh, just outside of uh, the 294 that we saw um, when he was number four with, who did I say, the Cowboys. So the year before he got there, they were seventh overall. And Basaccia's first year in Oakland they regressed all the way back to 19th, 375 points. So this is the first time where he came in and they actually got worse uh, his first year there. Not the most encouraging thing. So I want to look at what they did for the remainder of his time 
in Oakland. So in 2019, uh, I really thought I had 2019 pulled up. But here's 2019. 2019, Oakland went from 19th overall to 25th. They got worse. Not encouraging to see. No. Not 403 points. They've now lost uh, a total of 100 points in two years. Uh, and then 2020, let's see, were they still Oakland in 2020 or they were Las Vegas already? Yeah, they were uh, Las Vegas already. They were, yeah. So here we have our first improvement with Basaccia there. They jumped from, what did I say, 25th? They jumped yep. up to 15th, 346 points. I would say so. And one thing you have to remember is just how bad the 2018 and 2019 Raiders teams were. I mean, these were teams that were picking in like the top five of the draft. I think uh, I know, I know in the 2019 draft, didn't they pick number? Uh, they certainly picked in the top five. Cause that's when they took uh Cleland Furl, I think at number four overall. So yeah. Yeah. When the top end of your talent is bad. A lot of the times the bottom end of your talent is even worse. And those are the guys you're playing on special teams. Something that you just have to acknowledge is that even if Basaccia is really good at his job, you need to give him good players to work with. Can't ask him to do magic with garbage. Can't make chicken salad out of you know what. So, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Where's my my bleep button? Yeah, where's the bleep button? All right. But uh, look, I, I think... One of the things that the Packers are doing to try to address that is, and we've seen this at the draft, we've seen this in free agency, they are giving Visaccia a certain amount of say in oh, huge say as to you know who some of these players they're bringing in, whether it was Tariq Carpenter. Well, we uh, got Jonathan. we're we're we're, we're going to talk about all the guys that Visaccia has influenced bringing in because we we have kind of a list of guys at this. Point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, but. And and even with the some of the free agents they brought in, mm-hmm. I, I think by allowing him to buy the ingredients in addition to cooking the dish, they're yeah. trying to avoid the exact scenario that you've been talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and the Raiders have steadily improved over the years that he's been there. I think 2018 was, you know, the uh, absolute bottom uh, bottoming out of how garbage that team got during that period, and they have. Uh, pretty much gotten better every single year since he's gotten there just as an overall team. So they're fine. This the final year, uh, 2021 Basaccia was a special teams coordinator for the first half of the year. And then he became the interim head coach for the remainder of the year. So um, the, the Raiders did get better on special teams in 2021. They improved from 15 to 11 but also he was not the full-time special coordinator, special teams coordinator for the full year. He had a lot of other duties that he was handling, but it is still encouraging to see that um, over his last three years there, they were steadily getting better every year. Yeah. And that's, that's what you want to see, you know, when you're hiring a coach, but you know, overall he, here's a guy with like 20 years of experience almost in coaching special teams. And I think the fact that he even has that little bit of interim head coaching experience helps as well. I, and, you know, you, you heard interviews with some of the players who played with him with the Raiders. And, uh, you know, one of the guys said, oh, yeah, I'd run through a wall for the guy. You like hearing those kind of things. 
Yeah. Gil, I have some really terrible news for you. You you said that he's been coaching special teams for over 20 years. The 80s were 40 years ago already, man. <laughs> he's been coaching for four, for 39 years. All on special teams? Yeah. On spe- I'll, I'll read through his job titles here. It, Go is ahead. Actually, it is actually interesting. So where's my tab? Here we go. All right, going back to his days at Wayne State in '83. I'm just there's too many well, teams. I'm just going to list the position, the the job. Right. Well, I was talking NFL, but okay. Well, okay, I can just do NFL. Uh, so let's see. Starting in Tampa, special teams coordinator, and then got promoted to assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. Uh, special teams coordinator for the Chargers, and then promoted to assistant head coach. Um. See Cowboys, assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. Raiders, uh, assistant head coach and special teams coordinator, and then interim head coach, and then uh, now just special teams coordinator with the Packers. Okay. So, but 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 uh, you do make the point that he's been in the NFL for twenty years since two thousand two. Yes. So that is twenty years. Uh, one last thing I, I do want to go over before we talk about the changes they've made. I do want to cover kind of what special teams has been in Green Bay uh, last year. So uh, I have two different resources to compare because um, there's not just one like set in stone best way to measure special teams. So we're going to look at two different resources and just see what they have to say. Right. First of all, Rick Goslin last year. Here are the categories where Green Bay was worst in the league uh punt coverage so the best in the league was kansas city at 4.9 yards green bay had 12.8 kickoff starting point the interesting thing here is that there's not a massive difference from best to worst but seattle was the best at 26.8 uh the the 26.8 yard line i should say was their kickoff starting point Mm -hmm. the worst was the packers at the 23.4 yard line so not not a huge difference um, let's see, is Green Bay worst on anything else by Rick Goslin? Uh, nothing there, but here, uh, over on lineups.com, these are their special teams rankings, and they give you some stats on a lot of different, uh, or some numbers on a bunch of different stats for every team in the league, which is nice. So they actually average the Packers out. Uh, over every category, uh, they weight weight them out as the uh, average them out as the twenty second best special teams unit last year, and I think that there's a little bit of flawed math in there in that they I don't think they are weighting all the categories, and right. so I think there are some categories that are horrific that you should give more weight to that would push the Packers further down the list, but mm. some of the ones where the Packers rank uh, near the very bottom. Uh, field goal percentage only seventy three point five. Uh, I only see one team who was worse, and that was the Browns. Wow. Let's see, uh, field goal attempts. The Packers actually had one of the most, or they had they had uh, one of the teams with the most field goal attempts at thirty four. Looks like the Ravens and Patriots both had a, a couple more. The Raiders actually had 43, which is interesting. Uh, but 34 is still pretty high. It looks like average is around uh, 29 to 30. And then field goals made, the Packers are actually uh, pretty average there at 25. Okay. 
but that's Excellent. not so good when you're that high in attempts. Correct. And, and so this is one of those things where I think that their average is kind of, kind of stupid because they are giving the Packers more credit for having more field goal attempts. And I don't think that that is something that would make me rank a special teams unit as higher in my rankings. Right. So, so that's why it's, I think it's helpful to dig in a little bit. Um, they have a bunch of stats. So I'm only going to hit on the ones where the Packers are either really good or really bad. Um, Cause they have one here. that's like uh, opponent punts. And if you ask me, that is a defensive stat, yeah. not a special team stat. So well, I, just like field goals attempted is partially an offensive stat because it means you're not doing well in the red zone. So, that's yeah. That's true. That's true. So I'll, I'll, I will just, since it's good news, uh, the Packers had, looks like the most tied with the, uh, I don't want to say because it's a crappy team. Uh, and I don't want to be compared <laughs> to that. But tied with another team, they were uh, number one in opponent punt uh, attempts. So, then you have uh, opponent punt return yards, not as bad as you would think. It was about dead average, which is really interesting since they had so many punt attempts by opponents. So that's actually encouraging. But what was the average yards per punt return? Uh, I don't know. Did you bring any of your own? Um, I, I didn't. I do not research? have that in front of me. <laughs> no. Uh, I see. I see what the Packers had themselves. I don't see what they allowed. Okay. Uh, I can find that. Uh, let me see here. Uh, opponents attempted 50 kick returns on the Packers as opposed to fair catches. That's actually crazy high. Uh, mm-hmm. Looks like the Patriots were higher. Um, uh, here, here's the numbers on punt returns, and they're not pretty. Opponents averaged 12.8 yards per return against the Packers. Last and how, year. how how many yards did the Packers average on their eight? Returns? Oh boy, okay, yeah, that's, a, that's almost five yards per return differential yeah, between wild. what we were doing and what we were allowing. Get this: the 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 Packers opponents attempted to return fifty kicks. The Packers only attempted to return thirty kicks. A lot of fair catches. Yeah. Uh. On average, we got 46.5 yards per punt. That is below average. Um, Looks like bottom of the barrel is 42, so we were at 46. Uh, And then the uh, best in the league was over 50, so uh, slightly below average. And uh, But in punt net average, it was actually not too bad, 39.5. So that is a, a whole special team's stat yeah uh whereas the 46.5 that is a punter stat and then the 39.5 is a special teams unit stat so but those are the the stats out of all of them that i think are uh particularly good or bad mm-hmm. so we can talk about some some personnel stuff first of all um uh, let's see here got my note here so we are looking at an issue with kicker Mason Crosby. And I, I want to talk about that. Yeah. Mason Crosby, first of all, had a really bad year last year. Um, and I mean, you saw the uh, number of missed field goal attempts last year, but he's Nine. also dealing with an injury. He had his right knee scoped about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, so far, he's been able to attempt zero kicks in training camp. They're all getting handled by Gabe uh, Burkich, 
rookie from Oklahoma. He was one of the three finalists for the Lou Groza Award, which is given to the best college kicker. Mm-hmm. The Vikings picked him up as a 2020, what, two undrafted free agent? Was it 2022 or 2021? 2022, I believe. And then they waived him. The Packers picked him up. What's been your impression of how he's been performing so far? Because he, we are looking at a scenario where maybe he's our starting kicker for at least a few weeks. Yeah, that is always a possibility. And I mean, he's got a strong leg. There's no question about that. And, you know, I I guess his performance thus far has been acceptable. I'm not going to say he's been outstanding, but he's been good. Uh, That's how I would assess it. How about you? It seems like he's had a couple of bad days, right? And then the rest of the time, he's he's pretty good. But he I, he's had uh, multiple days where he's missed more than multiple one kicks. Kick. Yeah, yeah. Um, looks like, or at least multiple days where he's missed one kick. Uh, I know there was one day when we when he missed two kicks, but I think I forgot to grab that note. Uh, we do have August first. He missed one kick. Uh, wide left from 46, and then he hit from 50 and 52. Later that day, he went three for three on 45, 47, and 49. Then we have, let's see. Looks like, looks like that's about the most interesting things there about Burkich. The, the interesting thing that I am, am a little bit puzzled by is that a lot of the reporters who are there are not talking a lot about Gabe Burkich as though they just assume that he's just a camp leg and mm. that Mason Crosby will be back. And I just, I don't know that I share that same confidence, but obviously, you know, they, they are privy to a little bit more information than I am. Yeah. I, I mean, it seems to me that the coaching staff isn't that worried about whether or not Mason Crosby will be ready for week one. Mm-hmm. And that's why they chose to do the procedure when they did. But at the same time, you know, he's not exactly 21 years old anymore. And, you know, you're talking about a kicker's knee. So I would be a little bit concerned about that. Um, and to me for Burkich, if you assume that Mason Crosby is the kicker this year and he comes back healthy enough to kick and kicks well, you know, for Burkich, you're either auditioning for another team or if he does well, I would not at all be surprised to see him on the practice squad. And then next year, if Mason Crosby hangs it up uh, or just to have him compete again with Mason Crosby next year, if Crosby decides to come back. Yeah, J.J. Molson ended up spending the entire season last year on the Packers practice squad. I was a little bit surprised, honestly, that um, he's not still with the team. He got released a few weeks ago. Um, and I'm also I'm also really surprised that we don't have another kicker signed already to come in and be competing with Burkich. Like, if Mason can't be doing any kicks right now at all, don't we want to have two guys competing with each other who are healthy? Well, again, to me, reading the tea leaves, that means that they're not that concerned at this point uh, that Crosby is going to not be ready to start the season. Uh, Yeah, I would think you don't want to have Burkich, you know, overusing his leg to the point where he injures himself uh, as a result of all the work he's getting in training camp. And, you know, one thing 
that has come out of camp that Rich Bisaccia does differently than some of his predecessors. He's not afraid to kick five, six, seven field goals in a row, whereas in the past it would be like two, maybe, uh, in practice. So, you know, having only one guy doing all that kicking, I would think you would want another guy coming in to break it up a little bit, but I'm not the special teams coordinator. One thing, so we had uh, Chris Jackie on our podcast uh, a couple months ago, had a delightful talk with him. Yeah. Uh, Justin, if you're listening, since you're not a Packer fan, Chris Jackie was the uh, our kicker from the 90s who helped us win a Super Bowl. Uh, stellar guy, stellar kicker. Um, I, I, think he, I think one of the things that he had floated was maybe you keep a young leg on the roster to handle kickoffs. And, and you want to keep Mason for his extreme accuracy, uh, keep him around for extra points and for field goals. But maybe you have somebody else on the roster who just handles kickoffs um, so that you're not putting that additional wear and tear on Mason's leg, especially if because uh, he was talking about, you know, the, the scope that he had to have done. And basically just that it's, you know, wear and tear from having used it for so long. That, look, he's getting a little bit older and he needs yeah. to really clean up work. So. Um, so I, on kicker, I, I think that, so we both agree, we would like to have another camp body in there. Of course, the downside is that means that you'd have to cut somebody else at a different position, but I think it's worth it. I think I'd like to have two kickers working right now, especially since there's kind of not really any, uh, target return date in sight for Mason. And as we kind of alluded to the accuracy last year for Mason was an issue. Uh, but we spent a lot of time talking about what did we think was causing the accuracy issues. And it seemed like there was just a complete lack of trust from Mason in his um, snapper and holder that there was just zero consistency. Uh, so he's hesitating a lot of like, Oh gosh, are the laces turned out the right way? You know, he's like overthinking everything. And then uh, nobody's blocking for him. And so he feels like he's got to get it off extra quick because guys mm. are coming right for him. And uh, that was uh, Chris Jackie's assertion as well, which, you know, Chris Jackie's opinion carries a heck of a lot more weight than yours or mine does. But he knows uh, a thing or two about kicking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Packers seem to still trust uh, Mason Crosby's physical and mental ability and just believe that they need to have better guys around him. And I think that was our conclusion last year as well, but that we kind of put a pin in it and said, this is something to monitor. And unfortunately, with him being injured, there's no way for us to monitor that right now in camp. No, no way to monitor it other than knowing that the fact that they're not bringing someone else in shows a certain vote of confidence in Mason Crosby. So uh, probably a good time to talk about the other personnel they've added at this point, because kind of everything was a disaster last year. And and um, Mo Drayton and his, his goofy special teams style uh, would get up there every week and be like, Oh yeah, no, no, don't worry. The thing that happened this week, we're going to clean that up. And you just knew, okay, fine. Maybe you will, but six other things are going to go wrong next week. And they always (laughs) did. So uh, stuff that we felt was not good enough um, over the course of season, uh, or I should say by the end of the season, I I will just say the punt returns, which were kind of disastrous for most of the year 
seemed to finally really be getting going at the end of the year. Amari Rogers was doing a much better job handling the punt returns. There was the one week against the Vikings where, oh gosh, what was the guy's name? David Moore, that wide receiver. We picked yep. up a wide receiver for like one week and he had one return of like 12 yards or something and everybody was cheering. Uh, and then they cut him like the following week and Amari was back out there. And But but Amari was looking fine. I think his last his last three games, he looked fine on on returns, but everybody it was just baked in for everybody so much for fans of like, oh, Amari stinks on returns like this is this is a disaster because it had been for so much of the year. Right. That I don't, I don't think anybody noticed how well those last three weeks went. Yeah, I mean, it, it did get to the point uh, that you would sort of as a fan hold your breath a little bit every time he went back to feel the punt. And then it gets to the point where that almost becomes a reflex, whether it's actually deserved or not. He certainly closed the season a lot better than he opened yes. it. Yes. But I want to see him do it for obviously more than three games. And, you know, you need that consistency. That's one thing that was lacking. Uh, and, and I would like to see it. I think Amari Rogers will be in the mix to be the punt yes. returner again this year. But he's got to earn that position and he's got a lot of competition in training camp. That's for sure. Well, let's talk about the, about the competition because we got a bunch of new bodies here who were not factors last year. First of all, uh, Amari Rogers is still getting a lot of punt return opportunities. He's been getting some kick return opportunities as well. Uh, but more, uh, I see more reports about him working at punt returner, right. uh, back during OTAs, Romeo Dobbs and Randall Cobb were also getting work at punt returner. Uh, Cobb is no longer doing that, but Romeo Dobbs seems like one of the leading contenders to win the punt returner job. Of course, you have the question of what happens if he becomes a focal point of the offense. Can you spare him on special teams? I don't know about that, uh, especially the just this past week, the way that Dobbs has just exploded on a scene in Christian Watson's absence. It does really make you wonder. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's it's interesting because I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing from Romeo Dobbs, but I don't want to sit here and anoint him rookie of the year just yet. No, no. Uh, and so, you know, how many guys have we seen over the course of the last few years even who I mean based on playing well the first week or two of training camp Malik Taylor and Juwan Winfrey should have been all pros they didn't make much of an impact once the regular season started so for sure you know I I take it with a grain of salt I'm encouraged by it but I'm not penciling him in as a starter just yet that being said if he is the starter maybe he shouldn't be the starting punt returner yeah, but it seems like Amari Rogers and Romeo Dobbs are the uh, top two contenders for punt returner. Uh, new addition, Ishmael Hyman. Did we talk about Ishmael Hyman already? You, we did a little week? bit last week. Yeah, it's a terrible name, but yes, uh, you said that on Twitter, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, um, <laughs> just a really unfortunate name. But uh, he is—he's a new wide receiver addition. He's been getting looks at punt returner and kick returner. They've been working him in on the offense as well. Um, but another guy who I think is really intriguing is Rico Gafford. So he's been with the team for at least a full year. Yeah, and he is a former Raider. He was a cornerback in college. 
The Raiders moved him over to wide receiver. Didn't work out. Uh, they cut him. Packers picked him up, have kept him around for a while. They switched him back to corner, and he went from being a nobody wide receiver to, okay, this is actually an intriguing cornerback option for us, for one of our depth corners, which surprised me a ton. But he's also getting looks at uh, kick returner, Mm -hmm. and it's easy to see why they are looking at that because the dude ran a 4-2-2-40. Yeah. (laughs) One of the blazing... One of the most blazing fast players on the team. I think, I mean, that's tied with Eric Stokes. I think he and Stokes, first of all, you kind of want to see those two guys in a foot race. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're tied for the fastest player on the team. So if that worked out, man, that'd be electric a, a kick return. Yeah. I mean, look, speed is obviously one of the elements. Obviously, the other is sort of knowing how to read your blocks and and how to fake out some of the potential tacklers that you're going to face. But mm-hmm. man, you get a guy with four, two, two speed who can return kicks. Well, that, you know, that is an element that is hard for other teams to match. And yeah. I'd love to see the kid, you know, get a shot at it and let's see how well he does read his blocks and is able to fake out defenders because, uh, you know, you could break some long ones if you're running a four, two, two. So who are some of the other special teamers that the Packers have brought in uh, this offseason? They, they uh, I think you'd say at least half of their seventh round picks seem like uh, special teams additions. You got linebacker safety hybrid um, Tariq Carpenter, you already right. mentioned. Uh, they brought in defensive lineman John Ford, who you have to read the tea leaves as him being a field goal blocker because he was not productive in college. He has no athleticism. So just looking at him as a draft prospect, it makes no sense why we picked him up until you look at his special teams contributions. And he graded out really highly as a field goal blocker. I, I just think you look at, I mean, the disaster that field goal blocking was last year. And then, and then, uh, Brian Goodkin spends a seventh round draft pick on a guy with this profile. Just put two and two together. He's trying to improve field goal blocking. Yeah. And again, it is just encouraging to see the team devoting mm-hmm. resources and look a seventh round pick. And we had what three or four seventh round picks this year. Yeah. You know, it, it, you spend one of them on a guy who can help you on special teams in one particular area. If he doesn't pan out, that's not a big investment loss. Right. But if he does pan out, that is, uh, you know, gives you an element that this team was so sorely lacking last year. So I like the idea of taking a flyer on some of these guys late in the draft. Uh, you know, two of your seventh round picks, special teams guys. I would say maybe three of them. Maybe. Samori Toure might, might we, he has not been getting looks on special teams yet. Right. But maybe that's that was the intent when Gutekunst drafted him. Very possible. And I, again, all to me positives, because you would never see that in the past where there wasn't a lot of emphasis on, oh, yeah, this guy can help us on special mm-hmm. teams. Uh, I mean, sometimes they worked out that way, but more often than not, it was like, okay, we drafted Equinemia St. Brown to be possibly a depth receiver and maybe more if he if he develops he didn't fully develop but 
he was useful as a gunner, you know, and, right. and you know, it just so happens he was useful as a gunner. Now they're signing free agents and using draft picks specifically with special teams in mind. And, you know, my reaction is it's about time. You know, the the other seventh round pick we had, Rashid Walker, the uh, left tackle out of Penn State, he has been uh, injured. I think he's still on the pup list. He's yeah. not been able to, to to practice at all. But maybe that's another another guy for special teams, too. You know, you think about, you know, obviously, uh, if you look at his ceiling, you know, down the road, you'd like to have him um, as, a, you know, a swing tackle or something for you on offense. But in the meantime, could he be out there uh, blocking for uh, kicks and punts and stuff? I, I, I don't see maybe not punts, but but for kicks, field goal kicks, extra point kicks. I don't see why not. Quite possible. Um, quite possible. So, uh, but as you said, also some free agent acquisitions that they've made. First of all, we've spent, I think, a decent amount of time talking about Keyshawn Nixon, the cornerback that we brought in from the Raiders, uh, a guy who uh, was a core special teamer for Bisaccia, graded out uh, decently well on special teams. And we spent some time talking about how he could contribute on defense. And I think there certainly is a role for him. He's hurt right now, has not been able to practice at all, which is, again, really disappointing. Um, but in his absence, we brought in safety Dallin Levitt. Yep. Um, and Brian Gudikin said that when the uh, <laughs> when the wire came out and they saw that Levitt had been cut by the Raiders, he said that he could count the seconds that passed before he got a call from uh, Basaccia saying, you got to go get this guy for me. So, yeah. yeah. And he's the guy who said he would go through a wall for Basaccia. That's, that's the the one who had that quote. So yeah, the feeling is apparently mutual. Um, I mean, Basaccia certainly seems to have won over the locker room and the, and the coaching staff. LaFleur had a a nice quote about Basaccia as well. He said, I've learned more about special teams than I ever have in my life sitting in his meetings, which is nice because uh, whether Bisaccia works out here or not, uh, you still have to imagine, or let me me rephrase that. If things go according to plan and the Packers special teams does improve, I can't, I can't see Bisaccia sticking around here for very long because he's going to be getting offers for, um, uh, head coaching, especially after the fantastic job he did as the assistant head coach for uh, Vegas last year. Right. If he's able to turn, because all eyes are going to be on Bisaccia here. The whole league knows how bad our special teams was last year. And if he can turn them around and turn them into a good unit, he's going to be look, getting looks in the next one to two years for a head coaching gig. So the more he can teach our, uh, existing coaches about special teams and increase and improve the knowledge in that room, that coaching staff while he's here, that can only help us going down the road. Yeah. Uh, the only concern I had is, uh, you know, when Matt LaFleur said, Oh yeah, I've learned more about special teams from Bisaccia than I ever had before. I just well, we wonder how high, did. how high is that bar? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's the we, we already knew that he didn't know much about special exactly. Teams. You know, so, uh, you know, if, if, if he had a nickel and he, and Bisaccia taught him a dime's worth of special teams. That's not a lot, but it's a lot more than what he knew. So, you know. Dallin Levitt, the new addition last year, led the Raiders on special teams with 12 tackles. 
12 doesn't sound to me like a ton, but it was the most um, of anybody else on that unit. Uh, certainly, certainly no surprise why Bisaccio would want a guy who was uh, that productive for him last year. Um, who else? Didn't they bring in one more Bisaccio guy in free agency? Or is it just the draft picks that we wanted to talk about? Uh... Oh, oh, yes, yes, they did. Punter, Pat O'Donnell. No. Pat O'Donnell, that's right, and he's he's he has no competition right now either. Right, yeah, and he just is the punter, and they they, the they paid him handsomely. And and the important thing to just to connect it back to where we started, he's also the holder, and he's a much more consistent punter and a much more reliable holder than Corey Bohorquez was. Yeah, um, here's the Basaccia uh, connection. So Pat O'Donnell, longtime Bears punter. You think about Soldier Field, they are not a dome. Uh, Chicago has every bit as crappy of weather as Green Bay does in December and January. Not that the Bears ever play in January, but um, <laughs> a couple times uh, in his career, Pat O'Donnell has played in January in uh, Soldier Field, I, I think. Maybe maybe only once. Has he? Have, have the Bears hosted? Yeah, well, they hosted. Uh, they had the They hosted the Eagles in 2018. Yeah, and you also have to remember now with the 18-week season, the regular season is ending the first week in January also. Um, yeah, so so maybe he had one last last year in January. But so he has plenty of experience co- uh, kick, uh, punting in the nasty weather that you have up north here uh, late in the season. And Basaccio, when he was in Vegas, he was pushing hard for Vegas to sign Pat O'Donnell for him and they wouldn't do it. So he came to green Bay and apparently one of the first things he told LaFleur and Gutekunst is I want you to go get me Pat O'Donnell because I want him to punt for me since he's been here. Seems like it's going pretty well. Um, most of the notes that I have are uh, July 30th and August 1st. Sounds like those were two particularly good punting days. Rob Domofsky reported First extended punting period of camp and Pat O'Donnell averaged 4.43 seconds of hang time and only had one sub 4.0 time on August 1st. uh, Everybody was uh, raving about the punts, but this is my favorite one. There were a bunch of good ones, but my favorite one, Pat O'Donnell, this is Aaron Nagler. Pat O'Donnell just hit a punt that looked like the shot out of Looked like it shot out of the original Superman where young Clark Kent is frustrated that he has to keep his powers hidden. That's a <laughs> such an iconic scene as well. I got to go back and rewatch that movie. It's probably been a good 10 years. There you go. <laughs> uh, but but uh, a lot of folks, I think, were surprised that Borges got cut. Um, I, I, I even, although I wasn't surprised that they move on from J.K. Scott, I thought that J.K. Scott was not as horrific as everybody said he was. And then Corey Bohorquez really had basically the same numbers and uh, uh, grades and problems in his game, ultimately, that J.K. Scott had. And it seems like Gutekunst was like, look, I already got rid of one guy who had these problems. Watch me do it again. Because, <laughs> you know, you think about how that 49ers game hap- uh, ended. It was a blocked punt. And basically everybody who was involved in that play is gone. Tyler Lancaster is gone. Right. Uh, Henry Black is gone. Corey Bohorquez is gone. The only guy who's still on the roster who was involved in that 
nasty play was long snapper Steve Wartell. We'll talk about long snapper a little bit later. Yeah, but he's the only one. And he may not be long for the roster either. And and what, what was the biggest uh, problem that we felt Bajorquez had last year? Uh, well, besides holding uh, for field goals and extra points. Oh, good point. Yeah. You know, I think that was a big problem, but then it was consistency. And, you know, he got off to such a great start. And when the weather got cold in November, just like J.K. Scott did, he sort of had a little bit of a slump in November and December. And, you know, that was surprising because he was effective in Buffalo. And, you know, mm-hmm. you would think, you know, Buffalo and Green Bay would have similar late season weather. But uh, he really kind of slumped at that point. Yeah, I actually did not actually keep the notes that I wanted to on long snapper. I got I got notes about uh, gunners and blockers and stuff. But basically, here's the only thing with um, long snapper. So you got two long snappers in camp. Steve Wartell, who was there last year, who we didn't think did a very good job. And then new addition, uh, 2022 undrafted free agent Jack Coco out of, um, oh, what school is it? Was it Notre Dame? I believe so. Yeah. So he was a tight end and a long snapper, which I recently learned that uh, a long snapper is supposed to be more of a tight end build as opposed to a center, which is Coco is out of Georgia Tech, by the way. Georgia Tech. That's right. Um yeah, that's right. We worked out a Notre Dame guy the same day we worked out Coco. That's what it was. Uh, so the only note there is uh, Coco has been getting all basically all of the first team, you know, as much as you could say first team and second team uh, on special teams. But but he he is the uh, first guy out there on uh, on uh, snapping plays. So not a lot of notes on Coco or Wirtel. But any notes that I have seen is that Coco gets the first crack at um, at it every day. Yeah, he's been a little more consistent in practice so far than Wirtel. And I think the mm-hmm. other factor that I found interesting was that Coco had not snapped for punts since high school. He had snapped for kicks well, in college, for field goals and extra points, but not for punts. So this is, uh, you know, sort of uh, a... a not a new thing for him, but it's been a while and you got to hope it's more like riding a bike, you know, that it just comes back to him with the repetition. But so far he looks better than Wirtel in the first week of training camp, at least. Big thank you to Paul Brettel, a friend of the show who wrote an article over at uh, dailyandexpress.com. Give it a, give it a shot. Uh, He just kind of compiled some of the notes about the long snapper battle. Uh, he said, as Bill Huber of Sports Illustrated notes, in six of the Packers' first seven training camp practices, it has been Coco taking the first team special reps, special team reps on the field goal unit. I still think it's funny that, you know, the, the, the idea of first team or second team on, on special teams. It's still funny to me. Um, let's see. It's not always easy to know exactly. Oh, no, that's not what I was looking for. Um, let's see. Uh, note from Brian Gutekunst. Uh, Matt LaFleur, both these guys were not specifically talking about long snapper, but they were talking about special teams and roster battles. They mentioned that uh, the camp competitions often kind of work themselves out before the preseason games even begin. So I think that's interesting. And then you have uh, Gudekunst elaborated a little bit more, and he said with Mason Crosby and Pat O'Donnell, our kicker and punter, 
you've got two guys who have done it a long time in this kind of weather. So really the snappers are the two guys we've got to make sure the uh, two guys, we've got to make sure they can handle that as well. So that's interesting. Um, we already saw what Steve Wordle does in uh, this kind of um, weather, uh, late season weather. And Georgia tech is not exactly cold weather environment. No. Jack Coco, but I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I, here's my, my desire. I just want one of these two guys to win it. I don't want to have just a long snapper by default the way we did last year with uh, Hunter Bradley. And then ultimately with Steve Wordle after they cut Hunter Bradley, I want one guy to actually win it. Yeah. You want one guy to claim the job and, and say, I'm doing it. Well, it's mine rather than, well, he's the best option we have available. So uh, hopefully we get that this year. And I get the feeling if neither one of these guys is good enough, they'll bring in somebody else if they have to. Yeah. Uh, so the, la- the last aspect, I guess, of special teams is Gunners. And uh, Vernon Scott and Ennis Gaines are two guys who are not new to the team, but weren't getting a ton of looks as Gunners last year. And that would be... Um, or did I say their names? Uh, Vernon Scott and Ennis Gaines. Uh, both of them are safeties. Uh, been getting looks as gunners. And in training camp, they look pretty good. Uh, Rico Gafford also got some looks as a gunner. He's been all over the place. Andy Herman writes, uh, very intrigued by Rico Gafford. You can only keep 48 players active on game day. Gafford could be cornerback five, kick returner, gunner, kick coverage, field goal blocker, and I don't think it's impossible with his blazing speed and wide receiver history that he could get a package on offense. Uh, so that would be an argument for why you might activate him. Um, oh, Dante Vaughn, new addition. Is that a guy who has a Bisaccia connection? Do you recall? Uh, off the top of my head, I am not sure. Well, he was with the Chargers, which, you know, same division as the Raiders. So maybe he's a little bit familiar. Might be a coincidence, though. Uh, Quay Walker working with punt protection, Josh Myers and Tyler Davis are the wings on field goals. Uh, neither of those guys were doing that last year. Um, that's about it. Uh, so overall, uh, Gil, let's go through the various categories and, and talk about how good of a job we think they have done addressing, um, various things on special teams. First of all, let's talk about special teams coordinator. Do you think, that going out and getting Rich Bisaccia was this is a two-part question. Was this the or was this the very best move they could have made to fix special teams at the special teams coordinator position? And part two, was it good enough? Part one, I think yes. I think they did very well by bringing him in. And I, I think it will be good enough, but the proof is in the pudding and we have to see what happens once the season gets underway. Yeah. There's a couple of the guys that I kind of wanted a little bit more for special teams coordinator. Obviously the uh, Darren Rizzi ship has sailed uh, a couple of years ago. Really wish we could have done that because the saints have been like a top three special teams unit for right. years since we passed on him. Uh, but Braden Combs is a guy who I pitched a bunch of times, uh, former lions special teams coordinator, Still really think that um, maybe his ceiling is higher than Bisaccia's, but we kind of need such a remedial 
uh, lesson on how to do special teams, bringing in a guy like Basaccia with all this experience and all this teaching experience, maybe this is the best guy for our specific situation where we don't have a, a good unit at all. And we need to just start getting them into competent territory. So do, do we give this the rich Basaccia hire a thumbs up? Yes, I, I do. All right. Kicker. Did they do enough to address kicker this offseason? I think they're a little more confident in Mason Crosby than the fans are. But I think and and we heard Chris Jackie talk about this when he was our guest, knowing how to kick in the winds of Lambeau Field late in the season matters. And I, I think they had three guys at OTAs. Now they have two if you count Mason Crosby. So I'm going to say yes. I'm I'm going to give a thumbs down. I think that we should have at least one more kicker on the roster right now. Um, I thought maybe they would uh, kick the tires on drafting a kicker, except I, I just didn't see anybody outside of what's his name. He went in like the fifth round um, out of, I think, Arizona State or somewhere right. outside outside of that guy who they were never going to actually do. Uh, there wasn't a realistic target, but I, I still am going to give it a thumbs down. I think that the should, you should have at least one more kicker on the roster right now that it shouldn't all be, uh, Mason Crosby gets healthy or as Gabe Burkich like that. That to me is just not enough options. You need at least one more option and you need some competition for Gabe right now. I would agree that I like that idea, but it, to me, it doesn't quite make it a thumbs down. Okay. So we'll, we can kind of disagree on that. We'll give it half credit for punt, <laughs> for punter or for kicker. What about punter? Thumbs up or down? Did do do they do enough to fix punter? Uh, yeah, I think so. You have a reliable guy. And I think more importantly, the fact that he holds and holds well matters. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, the, the holding is such an under considered part of the punter job. I, I will give it a thumbs up. I think they did do enough. I wish that they had another punter there just so they could be building a relationship with the guy and learning about him because, you know, let's say that you're in a situation with injury or something. Uh, I, you want to have a practice squad punter that, that you can call up if you need. Uh, so I, I, I do want them to bring somebody else in, but I think they did enough that I'm, I'm satisfied with punter. Uh, what about returner? Uh, do you think that they have enough good options at at returner to where uh, you feel good about the situation having improved from last year? Uh, I think they have a lot of options. Uh, I just don't know if any of them are going to work out necessarily. And, you know, to me, how is the blocking going to be? How is the uh, you know, return coverage teams going to go. All of those are factors as well. So you have to sort of wait and see. I think they have a lot of options at kick and punt returner, but again, I need to see one of them stand out and work out in order to feel comfortable about it. Yeah, I th- I think I think this is a little bit TBD, but in terms yeah. of the number of guys they brought in, I think they have enough new faces in here competing for the job where last year it was kind of just Kylan Hill, Malik Taylor and Mari Rogers. And I, you know, for all three jobs. And now you're looking at it and you're saying, 
I don't know. We got seven or eight guys who are competing for those two jobs. I think that they brought in enough guys, but it's going to be TBD on if anybody really pans out. Exactly. I, I would echo that. Uh, we, we glossed over some of the notes of Basaccia screaming and swearing at, at, uh, players who were not doing the right thing. Uh, one thing that he got exception, exceptionally upset over was, uh, Amari Rogers, uh, signaling for a fair catch when Basaccia did not want him to signal for a fair catch. He got really, uh, upset and was screaming at Amari. And then, uh, there was a day I didn't read the notes from it because it would have just sounded depressing where everybody who was out doing punt uh return attempts uh was dropping the ball uh, all the guys every single one of them and the reason i didn't read it is because matt lafleur came to the podium later that day heated he was so upset uh where's my where's my note on it uh where's my tab where is it um come on i, I want to read his actual quote on it because it's entertaining um shoot is it under punting no returns it's gotta be under returns come on i could just tell you but i want to read it because the actual yeah the quote was good maybe i can just google it lafleur because the issue was the jugs machine so lafleur jugs machine all right packers wire has an article do they have the uh, the direct quote uh they don't all right well, LaFleur said that he was willing to foot the bill himself to buy a new jugs machine. He was just right. he was upset and he wanted everybody to know how upset he was. He was uh, frustrated at the equipment staff call, calling them out. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. But um, all right. Any other positions? I guess blockers because uh, blocking was such an issue last year. But I, I really felt a lot of the time that that was just sucky coaching for the blockers and you know yeah you didn't like having tyler lancaster out there so much over the last two seasons on uh field goal blocking units and he's off the team now so i I don't know it seems like they have brought in so many uh depth offensive linemen and defensive linemen that you have enough guys that you can get the job done and it's going to be up to bisaccia to coach them up the right way and have them practicing good habits that, that Mo Drayton just never was able to enforce if he even noticed it. Yeah. And, and this is why you hired Basaccia. And, you know, the one thing I've really liked about him since he got here is his attitude, his mm-hmm. enthusiasm, his organizational skills. Obviously it has to translate on the field, but I'm encouraged by the attitude and the and the tone that he set so far. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, we're we're expecting the Packers special teams to improve this year for sure. They were 32 last year by a decently wide margin. Where do you think they're going to finish up next year in Rick Goslin's special teams rankings? Just give me a ballpark. A ballpark 21. 21. I was going to say 25. So maybe between 21 and 25 is kind of the range you're, you're shooting for. And I would say that's probably good enough mm-hmm. to not hamper you in your attempt to win a Super Bowl. I do want to look. I am curious because we had at least one game in 2020 uh, that I blamed on the special teams that lost. And that was against Indianapolis, who, by the way, that year finished fourth overall. 
Uh, they had a very good special teams unit, and they absolutely took advantage of us. So 2020, we finished up 29th. Uh, and then 32nd in 2021. So, uh, 29 is, is not good enough. 32 is certainly not good enough. Is 25 good enough? Probably not, but 21, I think would be. So if you can get to around 21, I think you're in good enough territory to where a competent offense and defense should get the job done. And hopefully, yeah, hope, hopefully we at least are respectable first, you know, first do no harm and, we're so used to all this harm being done all the time on special teams the last few years. If we could just eliminate that, that'd be a big step forward. One final note I want to read before we wrap up, because I just find it interesting. July 30th, Andy Herman says the entire starting defense is on field goal block unit. That's new. Yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting. All right. We're going to wrap it up and get out of here. That's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Lee to stay up to date on all things Packers or ask us questions. You can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not